Well, we're continuing our sermon series entitled Mining Scripture, taking familiar passages of Scripture and trying to dig a little deeper than just the surface observation. Um, A couple weeks ago, we looked at Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, and we we learned that it's important not just just to read one verse, but to read the surrounding verses, the surrounding book, the surrounding context of the Bible. Uh, And then we looked at Jeremiah 29, 11, and we realized that it's so important not only to know what's the the literary context, the surrounding verses, but the historical context. What was going on historically when various passages of of Scripture were written? Today we're going to focus on the cultural context. It's important to know what was going on culturally when something was written. But we start off with a question this morning, simply, what is culture? Raise your hand. Tell me, what is culture? Give me a couple of words, or just shout out some words that, to you, are connected with culture. How would you define? Say again? Day-to-day life. life. Very good. What else? Traditions. Yeah, the traditions of a people. The foods. Amen. Amen to that. Yeah, we have all these things. What was life like in the day-to-day time in which a book or a passage of Scripture was written? What were the attitudes, the thoughts, the beliefs of a particular people group? You see, it's very important to know a culture. I experienced this myself when I was a teenager. I went down to the Dominican Republic, and I was this young, kind of shyish type teenager. And down there, they have this traditional greeting, or when you're leaving someone, that you kiss them on the cheek. And... I was about to leave this group of new friends that I had met, practicing the Spanish I had learned in my high school class. And then it came time where there was this awkward clash of cultures. Because my culture was very like, let me shake your hand, let me give you a high five. And their culture was very in your face, as it were. And so I had kind of an awkward moment there. And I, I can chuckle about it now. Or I think about my professor when I was at Southern. He told us about a time where he'd spent a significant period of time down in South America. He got just totally used to the kissing, greeting, and so forth. So he comes back to his church in the good old USA, and he greets his head elder's wife. And he goes, and he kisses her, and then he realizes, oh no, I'm not in South America anymore. We don't do this here in this particular ethnic church. Culture is important, right? And the same is true of the Bible. It's very important for us to know what was going on culturally at the time in which it was written. But it's not easy all the time to determine what was culturally happening. We can't just take a plane. We can't hop on an airplane or take a train back to ancient Mesopotamia 2,000 years ago to learn what life was like. So how do we do it? Well, sometimes, fortunately, the the culture is evident enough as we read the Bible, as we look for clues within the passage itself. Or sometimes we go to commentaries that have some good observations, or I was reading in this book this week, it's uh, the Greco-Roman world, talking about what life was like back then, and it quotes original sources, and you get to get a better picture of what life is like. All these tools can be helpful for us. So today we're going to go to Galatians chapter 3. I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3. 
and we'll see what God's Word has for us today. Galatians, of course, was written by the Apostle Paul. Generally, it's dated about 48 to 52 AD. It was written basically because Paul had established churches there in Galatia, in this region, and other teachers had come in preaching false doctrine. Essentially, they were teaching that you can be saved by legalism, by keeping the law. Uh, and Paul had, had been very clear, we're saved by the grace of Jesus. It's important to follow Christ and to obey him as we're able to, but that won't save us. It's only by the blood of Jesus. So Paul writes this very impassioned letter to say, hey, wake up. I, I preach the gospel to you, and in chapter 1 he says, even if an angel from heaven comes down proclaiming a different gospel, it's not the right one. You better believe what I said. So that's a little bit of the backdrop for the book of Galatians, but let's look at Galatians chapter 3 and verse 28 is our highlighted verse for today. Let's just back up and start in verse 26. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, it says, You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Amen. So we read it and we think, boy, that's great. It seems like I've learned everything that there is to learn, so we can have some application and close and, and it will end early, right? I bet you if we, if we look even deeper, we'll see even more. Um, we need to train ourselves to dig deep into the text. And that often takes time, and it takes work sometimes. But how do we dig deep? Well, we start by asking questions. We start by asking questions, even if we can't answer the questions ourselves. It's good for us to train our minds to ask questions about the text. So as I look at Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, let's just let's start asking some questions. What exactly did Paul mean that there is no longer Jew or Greek? Was he literally just saying, hey, if you're a Jew, you're no longer a Jew, and if you're a Greek, you're no longer a Greek, there's no more nationalities, no more ethnicities, completely doing away with things? Is that what Paul is suggesting? Did he have something else in mind? Well, if we go to the rest of Paul's writings, we'll see that Paul actually uses this phrase, Jew and Greek, but he uses it more in a broad sense. Let's go to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 1. I'll give you some examples here. Paul uses this language to speak in general terms. He's not specifically focusing on Greeks in general. He's talking about anyone who's not a Jew culturally. He's breaking down cultural differences. Romans chapter 1, this classic verse, verse 16. Paul there says, I am not ashamed of the what? Of the gospel. Because it is the power of God for salvation. For how many people? Everyone who believes. First for the Jew and then for the who? For the Greek. Now some Bibles, it just go ahead, it translates it to Gentile. But the Greek word, there's actually the word for, for Greek. Um, but this letter was written to the church in what area of the world? Rome, right? 
This is a letter to Rome. So it makes sense that Paul is not just specifically saying there's only Jew and there's only Greek. He's saying whoever you are, whether you're Jewish or whether you're non-Jewish, whether you're Gentile, as the NIV translates it. Because the good news of the gospel goes to all people. Amen? Amen. It goes to all people. Uh, Take a look at chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. He uses the same phrase there. Romans chapter 2, verse 9. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew and then for the Greek or Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew and then for the Greek. For God does not show favoritism. Here we can see Paul's just using these terms loosely to say, hey, if you're a Jew culturally, that's good. And if you're not a Jew, that's good too. Because God doesn't show favoritism. He works with everybody. If that wasn't enough, we go to Romans chapter 3, verse 9. Romans 3, verse 9. What shall we conclude then? Are we any better? Not at all. We have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are under sin. Jews and Greeks alike are under sin. And then we get to that classic verse. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. Let's look at verse 22. This is the righteousness from God that comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believes. There is no difference. And then he says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Here, by looking at the rest of Paul's writings, we come to see in Galatians 3 where he says there's no longer Jew or Greek. He's not being specific in the technical sense of those who are only Jew and those who are only Greek because that would leave out the rest of the world. He's saying if you're culturally Jewish, God accepts you if you accept Christ. And if you're culturally not Jewish, you also are accepted through Christ. There's no division between the two. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 11, I'll just read it to you here. He uses similar phrasing. He says, Here there is no Jew or Greek, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. What Paul is trying to do here is break down the barrier because culturally there was a big division between Jews and non-Jews in his day. As you look at the book of Galatians, you actually see that Paul has to rebuke Peter because Peter had had that vision where the sheet was lowered down with all those different animals and God was teaching him, hey, I accept Jews and Gentiles. But Peter had kind of gotten a little bit, either he'd forgotten that or he got peer pressured into, into falling back into his old ways because in Galatians, Paul rebukes him. He says, I had to rebuke him because Peter was refusing to eat with Gentiles when his Jewish friends would come around. Even Peter, who'd preached and 3,000 people had been converted, still struggled with racism, with prejudice in his life, or still struggled with peer pressure. Paul is stating very clearly in Galatians 3, these differences that divide us ethnically, historically, don't exist in Christ. The distinction isn't important because we're all one in Christ Jesus. How did we get this distinction? Well, it goes all the way back to Abraham. Abraham was called by God. God gave him a special sign of his covenant. That sign was circumcision. 
And, and so that was a, was a powerful physical uh, memorial that they had accepted the covenant and that God would be their God. But as time went on, it kind of became this thing where it was a, a division point, where those who were ethnically Jews, those who were circumcised, felt that they were somehow superior to those who weren't. Even you can read the story of David and Goliath. David, he, he, he's talking about Goliath, and he calls him that uncircumcised Philistine. It's like, ah, that nasty guy who isn't even like us. I'm going to go kill him today. So we can see these, these kind of biases that were cultivated over time. And this was a, a point of division in the early Christian church. They were still trying to figure out what to do with all these old regulations. And Paul here is making the point very clear. If you have ethnicity, uh, if you have historical roots that go back to Abraham, that's great. If you don't, you still are accepted in Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, Jew nor Gentile. And it's really good that the Gentiles are accepted because if you really think about it, probably all of us in this church today, unless we're ethnically Jewish, are Gentiles. Did you ever think about that before? Because Paul and others were saying, no, the gospel needs to go to everybody that Jesus commanded us to go to. Because of that, we have the gospel today. I'm not a direct blood descendant of Abraham, so because of this message, I now know about Jesus too, and so do you. This message impacts us personally. Here we find Paul's basically saying, at the foot of the cross, the ground is level. In Christ, there are no outsiders. There's a lot of our, our nation today, a lot of our world today, and even in our churches today, we find this ethnic and racial tension, this cultural tension. But the message of the gospel is that we are all accepted in Jesus. There are no outsiders in Christ. The ground is level. Doesn't matter what your background is, we all are accepted. So Paul says in Galatians 3.28, there's neither Jew nor Greek. All are accepted. But then he moves on to the second phrase. He says that there is neither slave nor free. So what was going on with slavery back in the time of Paul? I did some reading in this book. It was very interesting. I learned a lot. I learned a lot of things. Some things I, I learned that I kind of expected to learn, and the other things that I didn't expect to learn at all. I was reading something that Aristotle wrote. Aristotle lived about 400 years before the time of Paul, but his thinking kind of permeated the region, and such to the, to the fact that nobody really, even in Paul's day, questioned whether or not slavery was, was okay to do. It just was kind of accepted. Yeah, of course, slavery is just the normal for life. Aristotle said this, he said, where there is such a difference between soul and body, or between men and animals, the lower sort are by nature slaves, for it is better for them as for all inferiors that they should be under the rule of a master. It is clear then that some men are by nature free, and others are slaves, and that for these latter, slavery is both expedient and right. This was the, the cultural thinking, that like, yeah, some people are born to be free, others are born to be slaves. That's just how life is. 
And of course, we would firmly reject this thinking. But it's interesting to know the origin of where some of these ideas came from. They've been around for a very long time. It takes a a long time to get rid of them. During the time of Jesus in the nation of Italy, the region we'd call Italy, there were about 30% of the population who were slaves. About 2 or 3 million out of a population of about 7.5 million. The greater Roman Empire had about 10% slaves. So you can see how, how widespread this issue was in those days. Uh, in some cases, slavery was not as bad as we might picture it. In others, it was as terrible as you might imagine. There were some people who would uh, voluntarily sell themselves into slavery to a Roman citizen because often the Romans, after a period of time, after a number of years, released their slaves. And a slave of a Roman citizen would inherit Roman status. And so they would actually do this to achieve a higher level of social standing by becoming a free or an, a freed slave who's now a Roman citizen versus a freed person who's not a Roman citizen. That being said, slavery still was a very, very terrible system, and anywhere we find it in our world, it's always a terrible thing. Um, But it's just interesting to learn more about it. In fact, uh, Caesar Augustus made a law in 84. So many Romans were releasing their slaves. He said, okay, we've got a, a problem on our hands. You can't release someone before they're 30 years old, and there's only so many slaves that you can release per year. They were trying to put a cap on it. Um, So, interesting to note these details. Some slaves uh, had had fairly nice lives. Others were brutally treated and were killed and were horribly abused, as you can imagine. So that's kind of the culture that Paul is is speaking into. So when he says that there's neither slave nor free, it's not really a racial thing because a lot of the slaves were the same race as their owners. They had gotten into slavery because they were poor, They got into slavery because they've been captured, or a variety of reasons. He's talking mostly about uh, a class level. You've got the rich owners, the wealthy owners, that are able to own slaves. And then you've got people that are way down here at the bottom of society, don't even have their freedom. But he's saying, when you come to Christ, when you accept Christ into your life, like your value is, is equal to anybody, no matter what your possessions are, no matter even the status that you have in society, you are equally valued. Because at the foot of the cross, the ground is level. And in Christ, there are no outsiders. So Paul says there's neither slave nor free. There's neither Jew nor Greek nor Gentile. And then that last part, There's neither male nor female. So what was going on in the time of Paul? As as most of us are aware, there was uh, was a strong male-dominated society, although there were cases where women uh, had things pretty well. Uh, But for the most part, uh, women didn't have nearly the same rights as the males did. Uh, Again, out of Greek thought, Here's a quote to you from Socrates and Plato. They accepted this philosophy. They had this thanksgiving that they would say. They said, I'm thankful that I was born a human being and not a beast, a man and not a woman, and thirdly, a Greek and not a barbarian. So we kind of see this similar 
uh, rhythm, this similar phrasing to Paul's eventual um, phrase there in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. Uh, ancient Jewish prayer here for you. The Orthodox Jews would repeat this prayer. They said, Blessed be he that did not make me a Gentile. Blessed be he that did not make me a boor, or in other words, an ignorant peasant or a slave. And finally, blessed be he that did not make me a woman. Yeah. Some scholars have suggested, or at least one that I was reading, that this is a very ancient prayer. It was probably predating the time of Jesus. And he, he suggested perhaps that even Paul knew about this prayer or this type of grouping. And so Paul is directly addressing that, these ideas that it doesn't matter what your ethnicity is. It doesn't matter what your social standing is. It doesn't matter what your gender is. All of us are on level ground at the foot of the cross. In Christ, there are no outsiders. That's the message Paul was trying to convey. In an age when men mostly were the ones that held the power, Paul's trying to prevent, present a level playing ground. A place where all can come together and worship as equals because all are saved by the same blood of Jesus. Jesus died to save each and every one of us the same. And he'll, his heart will be as saddened if one of us is lost than any other one of us. He's trying to save each one of us because the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And in Christ, there are no outsiders. So what are we trying to say? What are we trying to say through this verse? I want to read our passage again. Again, Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. You are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For all of you were baptized into Christ and have clothed yourself with Christ. There is no longer Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. All of us are inducted into this hall of faith, this family of faith, Abraham's seed, as we accept Christ into our lives. I love what Martin Luther said. Martin Luther commenting on this verse. He said, the list might be extended indefinitely. Paul wasn't making an exhaustive list here. He said, there is neither preacher nor hearer, neither teacher nor scholar, neither master nor servant, etc. In the matter of salvation, rank, learning, righteousness, influence count for nothing. All of us are on a level playing field. There's been a lot of talk about walls in our news lately. A lot of discussion, a lot of debate, and I'm not making a political statement here. I'm talking spiritually. And I, I was interested in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, which, listen to this, it says, For he, Christ himself, is our peace, who has made us both once one, excuse me, made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Christ, as part of his mission, came down to break down walls that divided. He broke down the wall between heaven and earth by providing a way for us to be saved. And through his life and death, he taught that all are equally valued. There are no outsiders in Christ. The, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. He came to break down these walls. And I just love uh, in the book Christ Object Lessons how Ellen White puts it. She said, Christ sought down to break walls 
of exclusion, walls of prejudice, walls of fear. No distinction on account of nationality, race, caste is recognized by God, she writes. He is the maker of all mankind. All are of one family by creation. All are one through redemption. Christ came to demolish every wall of partition, to throw open every compartment of the temple, that every soul may have free access to God. His love is so broad, so deep, so full, that it permeates everywhere. It lifts out of Satan's circle the poor souls who have been deluded by his deceptions. It places them within reach to the throne of God, the throne encircled by the rainbow of promise. In Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, All are brought nigh by his precious blood. That's good news, amen? All are brought close to the throne of God. So what do we do with this? How do we apply this in our lives? It's good to be reminded of these things. It's good to learn a little bit more about the culture in which Paul wrote. But if we don't apply it in our hearts... We're really kind of missing the point, I think. You might say to me, Pastor, that's good, and I agree with what you said, amen, but I'm not racist. I am not racist, I'm not prejudiced, I'm not homophobic, I'm not sexist, I'm not prejudiced or biased in any way. That's also what each news network would like us to believe, right? Every news broadcast is totally objective. And maybe you can say that. I hope you can. But for the rest of us mortals that God is still working on, I think we realize that racism and prejudice and bias is pretty sneaky. Because just the moment you think you don't have any biases, then you realize, I guess I actually do. Maybe race isn't something that particularly affects you, but we often view people as outsiders by other criteria. Maybe it's their age. We view someone based on their age the culture, the practices that they have. Maybe we view someone differently based on their political affiliation. We group someone as a them because of how they voted or how they view this world. Maybe we view people differently because of their body type or their weight or their health or whether they're liberal or conservative within Christianity. Maybe we view someone as an outsider because of how they feel about controversial issues like women's ordination or this or that or a whole host of other things. Maybe we view people differently or kind of feel superior because we keep the Sabbath and others, oh boy, they don't. Maybe we look down upon people because they don't particularly belong to our particular denomination. Do we cultivate that same sense of superiority that the Jews cultivated back in the time of Christ because of their ancestry? Bias is sneaky. It can creep up on us. But the good news is, Christ came to break down every wall. He didn't say that everybody would instantly have the same life or that by, by, by teaching these things that everyone would be the same or live the same, but that everybody stands on a level ground at the foot of the cross. And in Christ, there are no outsiders. He came to show his love 
and to teach us how to love so that the world could recognize his love through us. What did he say? You, you, people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. The ground is level at the foot of the cross, and in Christ there are no outsiders. The year was 1987. The date was June 12. The time was 2 p.m. Location, Berlin, Germany. Right there at the Brandenburg Gate in front of the famous Berlin Wall. This wall had been set up 26 years earlier by the Soviets. After the war, they divided up Berlin between East and West Berlin. They put up the wall supposedly to protect the people on the East from all the crazy people on the West. But as we Westerners looked at the wall, we said it's because they don't want people escaping and coming over to the free side on the western side of the wall. That wall stood there for all those years, dividing people. People literally one day could see their family and the next day had no access to their family on the other side of the wall. Couldn't see their friends anymore. If they worked on the other side of, of Berlin, they could no longer go there because of the wall, because of the barrier, because of the division. Not only was it a, a physical barrier, but it was also a very powerful psychological and emotional barrier. It was dividing between Eastern ideas, the Soviet ideas at the time during the Cold War, and the Western ideas. And so there on that day, June 12, 1987, President Ronald Reagan stood there with his back to the wall. And probably some of you watched that speech live or saw it later on. He said some words that became famous around the world, speaking to the Soviet leader. He said this, General Secretary Gorbachev, if you seek peace, if you seek prosperity for the Soviet Union and Eastern Europe, if you seek liberalization, Come here to this gate, Mr. Gorbachev. Open this gate, Mr. Gorbachev. Tear down this wall. It took a while, but two years later, the wall came tumbling down. I have a piece of that wall somewhere. <laughs> somewhere. As I hear those words, as I read those words, it stirs up in my heart the same feelings, similar feelings probably to what the Apostle Paul was feeling. There's no longer Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. All are one and accepted in Christ because the ground is level at the foot of the cross. In Christ, there are no outsiders. Are there any walls in your heart this morning? Even, as, even little ones? Jesus wants to take care of those walls. He was a carpenter. He knows how to build things, and he also knows how to tear things down. He knows how to fill your heart with so much love that you no longer see the other as inferior. You see them as a brother or sister, equally in need of a Savior. Perhaps you've felt like an outsider. Perhaps you've even felt like an outsider here in this church, and if that's happened, I'm sorry. We want to grow in our love for one another. We want to be more welcoming to every single person, no matter who you are. All are accepted. So today I just have two action steps. Action step number one, 
Spend some time praying and say, God, are there any walls in my heart? Are there any areas where even just in the slightest I have biases, I have prejudice, I have things that hold me from really accepting someone else as you accept them? Pray about it. And if God reveals something to to you, pray about that. Ask him to take care of that wall. And action step number two, this week, I challenge you to talk to somebody who's different from you. Talk to somebody. I realized in high school, this girl that I thought was just, I didn't like her at all, and then God assigned me to sit right next to her in chapel. Oh. And I discovered she's a wonderful person. I was the one who had the issues. Step number one, ask God, are there any walls in my life? I want your love to flow through me. Action step number two, talk to somebody. Start making friends with somebody who's different from you in any way. You think you can try that? Give that a try this week? Let's pray. Dear God, I am so thankful that you accept sinners because all of us are sinners. All of us are 100% dependent upon you. So I pray that you will fill our hearts with gratitude and with love that we can go out to the world and show them the love that you came to show to us. Reveal to us this week, today, if if there are areas that we need to confess to you, things that that we've been kind of holding in our hearts, areas where we need growth. And provide us with opportunities to meet people who are different from us, to make friends with people, to talk to people who don't live like we do, and give us a greater appreciation for them and for uh, just your love in our lives, we pray. And let all God's saints say, Amen. God bless you. Have a happy Sabbath.